Hello, everyone, and welcome to Investing with IBD podcast, sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here, your host, and joining me, as always, is Arusha Pires. He is the O'Neill Global Advisors, one of the O'Neill Global Advisors portfolio managers. Um, it's September 7th, 2022, and uh, football season is starting. How are you doing, Arusha? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well, Justin. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy that the NFL season's about to start, I guess, when everyone's listening to this. In yeah, another hour, this drops. a few hours, right? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, college uh, college games have started. I noticed that you still, for some reason, have your USC helmet in the background because, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense to me. But, well, well uh, uh, both UCLA it, and USC won this weekend, so. Uh, which is cute. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been a long, it's been a long, like 10 plus years for USC. And so it looks like they actually might finally be starting to get good again. Uh, so, I, Justin, I hope you enjoyed your your break there. In addition to Arusha as our special guest, we have an even more specialer guest. Uh, that's Jared Tendler. He is a mental game coach and author of The Mental Game of Trading, which I just so happen to have a copy here. Uh, my copy is signed, so that's not something that everyone's going to have. So thank you for that, Jared. It's The Mental Game of Trading and the... Uh, the subtitle is A System for Solving Problems with Greed, Fear, Anger, Confidence, and Discipline. Uh, welcome back to the show, Jared. Thanks, guys. It's good to, good to see you both. I, I, I miss you. <laughs> well, well, you're in the right place you. for uh, <laughs> anger, people who are angry and confused. So, so. Yeah, well, and, and uh, yeah, help, help build up uh, Arusha's confidence again and you know, maybe, maybe introduce some discipline here. Uh, and uh, Jared, man, we got to just address right off the bat. Uh, it's a very different market from when you were on last. Uh, last time we had you on was in January of 2022. Of course, you recently made your debut on IBD Live. And what a day that was to have you on because uh, we had Jackson Hole going on in the background and, you know, talking about discipline and, you know, cutting through the noise and everything like that. So uh, it, it's really it's really going to be interesting to have this talk with you in a very different market environment. But maybe you can start out by kind of addressing uh, some of the some of the things that we were talking about on that Jackson Hole day, when you have this big news event out there that's kind of turning the markets to and fro, and you know what is a trader to do to kind of keep their their hands steady on the wheel? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you're in volatile markets, right, the 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 thing that keeps you steady, you know, like a ship out to sea in the stormy weather, is is the the stability of the ship itself, right, and you know, as traders, right, you need to have a system that you know well and can rely on and know makes money. And so if you get caught up and kind of swept up in that volatility, it's going to happen for predictable reasons. And sometimes that reason is simply that you actually don't know your strategy or system uh, as well as you should. And that might sound kind of silly on the surface. Like, how could you not know? But 30 second elevator pitch, you know, uh, right. could you actually very cleanly articulate what your strategy is under extreme pressure? And I think a lot of people watching this, the answer is no. And it's, or it's at least 80%, but 80% ain't good enough on, on days like that, uh, or in general in volatile times, like it needs to be stone cold hundred percent. And that alone will take away some of the emotional volatility. And if it doesn't, the good thing then is that it's going to make it more clear where that line is between, you know, kind of the mental game and, and kind of more of what the book is really all about is, you know, identifying where those emotional biases comes in, right? Where the greed, the FOMO, the anger, right? Where you're kind of imprinting 
bias and illusion and wish and hope and your goals, your confidence kind of into the market and, and being able to draw that line gets a lot easier when you've cleanly articulated your strategy. Yeah, well, it, it almost seems like part of your strategy is to avoid events as emotional as potentially what the Fed is going to say or Chairman Powell is going to say uh, and, you know, putting all your hopes on that on, on an event, whether he's good, they're going to lighten up or maybe they're going to end the, the, the raising or they're going to be a little bit more dovish or what word are they going to use? Uh, have you have you coached traders that uh, that's part of their strategy where it is betting on uh, some kind of larger instantaneous macro event or analysis of that or uh, yeah, at least of that kind of thing? Absolutely. Man. I think the difference between the people that I've coached that have done this and the ones who may have gotten caught up in this <laughs> are that I would actually call them traders versus gamblers. Okay. And that distinction needs to be made because gambling is trading or betting on an edge that you haven't defined cleanly or is actually proven to be losing in the long run. That's why you know Vegas exists, right? Because Vegas has defined the edge. So you have to define your edge. And so the traders that I work with, by and large, right, they understand you know, the massive opportunities that come on moves like that. Oftentimes they're not always, you know, kind of betting in advance, but they are very quick to what I'd say is kind of like fly without navigation. You know, I mean, it, it's these are not this is not something that traders, you know, I, I think in general with less than three years of experience are really capable of doing, though they probably wouldn't admit that that was the case. Right. It's really, you know, traders have seen a lot more and can understand how to kind of navigate without kind of a pure indicator saying, yes, this is, they, they sort of have seen patterns and they can sense opportunity very quickly. And then they also have the ability to very quickly get out when they're wrong. I mean, that, that is just so important on volatile days. Like you, it's fine to make, well, you, you all, we can all make bets, right. And, and we can still define it, but where it becomes gambling obviously is when you start trying to double down on that initial, uh, conviction and then you know things can really get uh, deeply read quickly especially yeah. when we were talking last week yeah well especially if you're doubling down on losing positions right you know and that's i feel like one of the things that is is a trap for a lot of beginning investors is that kind of uh, resistance to being wrong where they're like no i i, I can't you know, I don't want to be wrong. And if I just uh, keep on buying, maybe eventually I'll be proven right. So there, there is that element of, uh, I guess, discipline and accepting losses. Uh, is that something that you find is hard for some of your clients? Well, yeah, I mean, I, and I think we have to clarify, right? Is it discipline? I think on the surface, that's what most traders end up thinking that it is. It's like, oh, I'm getting undisciplined in this spot. I think it's in that example, it's really much more about confidence. You're not you're you're okay. So you're averaging down or you're doubling down, right? You're doing a, you know, a martingaling strategy in the markets, like <laughs> right. But what are you what are you actually betting on, right? You're betting on that initial conviction, and why would you do that? You would do that, say primarily, not always, but primarily because you can't be wrong. Like, what would it mean for you to be wrong? Like, so you're going to lose conviction. It's not about the money as much as it is how much being wrong is going to cost you confidence. And then that confidence then can lead to other problems downstream too, right? Then you're going to do even bigger things to try to regain it. So I think on the surface, right, these violations of our rules can be kind of deemed as a discipline problem. And not on the surface as a headline that, 
you know, makes sense. But when we start to dig beneath the surface and the way that I outline in the book, we talk about greed and fear and anger and confidence issues before we get to discipline, because we have to rule those things out mm -hmm. as the primary driver of that violation of the rules, right? Jumping in too early, right? Reacting to FOMO, right? Okay, obviously, markets ripping up, right? We thought it was going to be, you know, negative based on those comments. And all of a sudden, it just shoots up. Now, are you going to jump in, in violation of your your rules without a proper entry signal and and if the answer is yes well what is it right pure fomo is i believe that i'm never going to get another opportunity now yeah. that's a, obviously a delusion you're of course going to have many many opportunities but in that moment that's what feels real so it's not a discipline problem it's a it's an emotion right it, you're getting swept up in you know the volatility internally as much as is you know reflected in price action have, have you run across uh clients that because uh, for the most part, w with IBD and, and, and kind of the, the rules that Bill O'Neill uh, taught all of us years ago is, you know, write down your rules, try to remove as much emotion from your trading plan and from your trading decisions as possible. Do you run across, uh, across clients who, you know, maybe that emotion is their advantage. Maybe that gut feel uh, helps them uh, and they've actually incorporated it into their trading plan. I mean, I, I think when you've reached that pinnacle, yeah. you are, you know, a very, very savvy trader and one that has a very good understanding both of your system and, of course, then, you know, your emotions, right? So, so yeah, like w if we're viewing emotions really as a signal, either as internal flaws and biases that are reacting to, uh, you know, price action, right? They're coming internally, or their emotions reacting to weakness in your strategy. But if those things are pretty well taken care of or you're in a spot where you're just more in tune with the market, uh, just trading very well, the emotions that you feel really can become that, you know, kind of indicator of intuition and that next level sense, you know, being in the zone, right? And, and it can be fear-based too, right? You can sense that your positions might be a little bit overexposed, might be time to trim here uh, or even uh, liquidate entirely. Uh, so yeah, it, but to get to that point, you've got to very cleanly distinguish the fear that is reflective or the excitement that is reflective of legitimate opportunities, right? We're not going to say guarantees, but legitimate opportunities versus the fear, the excitement that is going to be more indicative of the internal flaws or the weaknesses in strategy. And that just takes some research internally doing what I call mapping, right? Second chapter of the book is really designed to help you kind of map those patterns. So if we can kind of hold up, on one end, this is what legitimate intuition looks like. Here are all the criteria and characteristics. Here's what the BS emotion masquerading as intuition looks like. And, you know, create that differential. It's it's a very simple task on the surface. It just takes the work and the, and the ability to kind of be curious in moments when you have that kind of pure, uh, you know, intuitive sense versus the emotional one and then tracking the emotional one. But, you know, like anything else, right, you're good at understanding patterns in the market. So why would you not do the same thing with yourself? Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to kind of jump back a little bit because you you mentioned that it maybe takes like three years for you to get some of this down. And, and I mean, that process of mapping, you almost have to be in uh, long enough to kind of experience some different cycles because certainly for a lot of people that started in 2020, uh, they might've gotten a skewed 
uh, example of what the stock market is like. Oh, you just pick stocks and they go up and they go up a lot uh, as opposed to what the market is right now where you know, you've seen a lot of those same stocks that have gone down 70, 80, 90% or more. And that was just unfathomable to a lot of people when you had these you know, fabulous stories, these stocks that looked like they could do no wrong, where the phrase to the moon was used all the time for almost everything. Um, so, you know, how, so that this mapping part, is this, is this a part that is best done in bad times afterward, after bad times, or while times are good before they get bad? Or is it just a process throughout the whole, the, the whole journey? Yeah, I think it's a process throughout. I mean, I think if you're savvy enough to recognize that you're you've been, you know, kind of isolated, and it could be you're a trader getting started in a bad market. I mean, mm. I've worked with traders that have gotten started in 2007, right? And right. you know, <laughs> Lord have mercy on their soul. And it was it was incredibly painful to work through. But you know, a lot of times, right, those types of traders come out really, really hardy, kind of like you know, companies that survive, you know, deep recessions, right? They, there's a, a degree of resiliency that's, you know, kind of baked in uh, that they kind of come out with. But the mapping process is really, I think, important at all times, mostly because it, it kind of weaponizes your awareness. So yeah, if you are, you know, savvy enough to recognize that you've been isolated, then when things pivot, right, you're not going to be kind of on your back foot, you're going to, you can kind of be more proactive. And, and, and I think in general, this is not just a uh, an issue that traders experience in general, people are just much more reactive rather than actually being proactive and thoughtful about, you know, the kind of the potential problems on the horizon, right? I mean, we like the tea leaves have been here for, for quite a long time. I mean, maybe there was a bit of a top signal when I, when I released the book in the crypto market, because it literally was the exact top of the market <laughs> last year. Um, but, you know, when is your next book coming out, Jared? That's what we need to know. <laughs> four years. No. Okay. <laughs> There's time. Um, but you know, being able to kind of figure out, right. Not just reacting to price action in the short term, meaning that, right. The, the emotions that are re reacting to those, um, you know, it, I think it's just an important process to, you know, be thoughtful, right. What are the potential problems that are on the horizon always? And then, you know, your emotionality is, uh, you know, a key one that can pivot, right. Overconfidence, probably one of the most common problems that nobody talks about mm -hmm. you know, yeah you you, uh, you mentioned something about 2007 uh now i i remember i, I can't remember exact exactly what the study was but it, it it was it was saying something about where you started in an investing cycle where you really started to invest and those who were investing like in a those first five to ten years if it wasn't a a great bull market for the rest of their kind of investing career, the next 30, 40 years, they were always optimistic versus the mm -hmm. ones who their initial experiences were like maybe a 2000 or a 2008. They were always much more risk averse or they respected risk a lot more. And I, and I definitely can talk from my own experience, 2000, and I know Justin the same thing, is 2000 was early on in our kind of yeah. investing careers. And that continues to, you know, that that left that imprint where we're all that's always in the back of our mind. So in 2008, we were kind of ready for it. And, you know, after 2020 and 2021 and even and especially this year, you know, these don't these type of environments don't surprise us because 
that that initial kind of experience has been imprinted. Uh, you, your thoughts on that? Have you run across clients like that? And uh, you know, do they is it best to try to work to change that or you know use that to your advantage? I mean, I think at the end of the day, we're looking for right your fingerprint, right? And like, what is sure. like the essence of this sort of combination of your personality, your values, your ethics, your interests, right? Because th that, that's, to me, the coolest thing about trading, which is a lot like poker too, where, where there's so many different games, there's so much variety out there and so many different styles and, you know, ways that you can trade and markets that you can trade. And so to kind of figure out like, what is your exact fingerprint, how you sort of see things, I think is an important process. And, and so, yes, I do think there will be some people who can be a bit too skewed and overreactive and over kind of pessimistic and over risk, overly risk averse, and then you know conversely the opposite side too. And so, what are we trying to look for? I, I think it's it's if you deem it to be a problem, then it's a problem. If you don't deem it to be a problem, I, I don't think there's anybody, including myself, who could say the say otherwise. And and that's really not like a part of my work. I mean, I think I come and work with people who have raised their hand and said, "I want to get better at these things." Yeah. So you kind of have to recognize, all right, take a step back. It's all right. Is my pessimism hurting me? Hurts me here, but helps me here. So what's the relative, you know, advantage, disadvantage? How does that kind of even out? And my guess is it's probably to your advantage, right? But maybe there are a couple particular types of setups or a couple, you know, versions of market conditions where you're a little slow to get in and slow to maybe kind of see that pivot and that, uh, you know, that, that kind of turn in the market. And yeah, so then it's kind of hurting you where you're, maybe not necessarily pessimistic that's hurting you. It's sort of the malaise of just being in a, in a bear market where things aren't really moving and, you know, kind of getting uh, like fatigue, right? I think it's yeah. hard when, you know, day after day, you're not seeing opportunity and you're sitting in cash or you're sitting with only a couple positions and, you know, just kind of waiting. And, and the way that I kind of pitch this to, you know, clients, like it, you got to be like the backup quarterback, mm. right? Just at a moment's notice, you have to be ready to get in and and you know help your team win it's hard right 14 games in the season you haven't played a single <laughs> right you know uh, play like to be ready to go in the next play is hard but i think that's the challenge and so sometimes that means actually spending less time in front of the charts so that there is in my mind no time that you're in front of the charts where you're bored right mm -hmm. that, that boredom becomes a signal to just get the hell out Right. You want to be there sharp and ready because you don't know when it could turn. And if you're not there, right, uh, with with the right mentality, then you could be kind of on your back foot. And then the pessimism could kind of create a bit more resistance to getting in than would be ideal. Mm -hmm. Well, since you brought up the sports analogy uh, with with football, when we come back, we'll get a little bit more into some sports analogies and uh, more importantly, how you survive the game and uh, increase your longevity so that you can really get those big returns. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25 percent of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you are especially risk-averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pires, 
Portfolio Manager at O'Neill Global Advisors. And our special guest this week is Jared Tendler returning back to the show. He is a mental game coach and author of The Mental Game of Trading. Um, you can follow him at Jared Tendler on Twitter. Uh, so, uh, Jared, you were kind of talking before the break about this whole concept of, hey, you know what, there's sometimes where there's not going to be the money pouring in. Uh, heck, you might even lose some money, give some money back. Uh, and on IBD Live, you kind of used a, a slot machine analogy. So I, I know we, we keep on going back to gambling here, and uh, you, you, you do have your poker book uh, as well. So uh, kind of explain a little bit about that mentality of, I guess, taking that big picture, you know, like if, if you're in this for the long haul, how a slot machine, uh, acting like a slot machine might be in your best interest. Yeah, I think the, the big picture here, right, is that you have to be the house, right? The house is the one that is setting the edge in this game. And we know because of the size and scale of the Vegas hotels, how well they have rigged the game. And they rig it because people want to be entertained and they want to be seduced into thinking that they can have these big wins and win the lottery. Right. But what happens to people that win the lottery? It's actually, sadly enough, what happens to set like 60 to 80 percent of retired NFL and NBA athletes? Right. They go broke within three to five years, which is awful in its own right. But it comes down to not really having uh, the skill to be able to manage money, yada, yada, yada. But the point is, right, you don't want to be in that category. You don't want to be in the markets like looking for these big wins as a way of making money long term. That's actually not really kind of the full picture. Right. You want to be developing an edge in the market that is reliable and one that does not care about the ups and downs, either in price action or in P&L. Right. If you make ten thousand dollars today, you did not earn ten grand, just like a casino that took in ten thousand dollars or so, let's say paid out ten thousand dollars in uh, winnings in, you know, on their slot machine floor. They didn't lose ten grand. They made their eight percent. Right. And so. If you made 10 grand today, what was actually the amount that you earned? It's not 10 grand. So what we can do is start to kind of normalize, you know, the the extremes uh, of, of what is happening kind of in, in your daily P&L to something that is more uh, appropriate to your edge. And what that does is it actually helps you to become a bit more driven to be a, a, a well-functioning slot machine. Because what happens on casino floors, slot machines broken. That thing is not getting back, is not getting turned back on until it's fixed. The casino was is not going to take the risk of something really bad happening. What do many traders do? They, literally, they're they're they are actually gambling because they don't have kind of the internal mechanism for themselves to take themselves off the floor. Right? You need to be able to have that uh, ability to kind of be your own coach in a sense. So, defining your that edge, leveraging that edge is a function of how well you can understand how to create it on a reliable basis. And then when it's not your day, which is going to happen, it's not your right. market, which is going to happen. It's not just pull yourself off the floor, pull yourself off the desk uh, because it's, it's, it's gambling at that point. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, going back to what you were talking about with the, the $10,000 analogy about like the outliers, right? doesn't really matter if it's uh if it's in the stock market or if you're at the casino or if you're playing the sports uh if you have some kind of unusual event you need to recognize that right and and put that into your strategy 
to realize that this is not kind of a normal recurring type of event here. If this is kind of an outlier and more to a positive side in, in this case, you, you got to take some money off the table, lock in some of those gains uh, or, you know, know where, uh, how to kind of manage that and not expect that to happen all the time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I was saying 10, 10 K, even as like Sunday would be normal. Right? I mean, I realize it's not normal for everybody that's listening, but you know, the ability to, I mean, listen, when, when, when people have large outside events, my advice always, even if you make, you know, a, a, a good amount of money is to take at least one day off, right. To absorb it. Right. I mean, uh, when, when I've had uh, either traders or poker players that have had some significantly big outlier events, right. They win a big poker tournament. They have, you know, the best month ever by, you know, uh, some factor, uh, you're not allowed to spend that money for some period of time. It's not yours, right? It's locked away. I'm not saying that you can't, uh, you know, put it into a, you know, short-term savings account, right? Something that, but the point is you're not treating it as it's yours until you are able to kind of absorb the significance of it, right? What does it actually mean, right? Is it truly an outlier or no, actually it's reflective that my capacity here is, has really leveled up and, and I can, you know, kind of treat this as a bit more normal or no, it was true outlier. So then I'm actually taking a large chunk and putting it away and only taking a small chunk and putting it into my account balance. Right. And, and then making that, you know, a bit more normalized that way. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit maybe about that concept of getting better. And I think that's, that's what a lot of us strive to do. Uh, even, I mean, I got to tell you when, when I was watching, um, Bill O'Neill and the portfolio managers uh, in in that 2000 market, and you know, luckily I got to participate a little bit on the upside before you know things all all went, went to hell in a handbasket. But the the big thing was that they had made so much money in in that run up, and they kept a lot of it, which was amazing. A lot of them were selling into these climax tops, but Bill insisted that they do a post analysis still to kind of say, hey, what could you have done better? You know, and, and again, it's not to say that you didn't do a great job, guys. Um, I think they had like a 1400% return uh, from like 98 to, to, 2000, to 2003 or something. So they retained a whole bunch of it. Um, so, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of this, this inchworm concept that you wrote in your book uh, about how you want to kind of get to a point where you're increasing not only the the gains that are potential for you but what a lot of people don't recognize is hey also kind of getting those bad trades off can you kind of flesh out that that inchworm concept of yours yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because i think it's one of those concepts that you know both readers of the poker book and the trading book really uh it stands out to them mostly because it's a little bit noteworthy and and for those that don't know about it uh he is actually saying inchworm like like an actual caterpillar that uh, looks like a worm. Uh, that's not a pattern. That's not a not new uh, <laughs> chart pattern. And, and, it might, and it might be a little squirrely for some of you who are like, how did we get to talking about insects? Right. Uh, uh, but, I just went to the zoo. It's it's just a follow-up to that. You know, exactly. But, and of course, you're going to see an inchworm at a zoo, right? This this little guy <laughs> right. by every uh, you know insect-eating uh, animal there. So the inchworm, you know, as you sort of see it moving here, in my mind, kind of describes perfectly what improvement looks like over time and you see sort of this 
pattern where the, the back end is kind of anchored and it allows the front end to kind of stretch forward and then it anchors and then kind of inches forward from the back end. Now, if we look at this as like the front end is your A game, the middle is your B game, the back is your C game, right? You at your worst or your worst trading decisions, not necessarily your worst outcomes, right? We're going to be more kind of qualitative skill-based oriented here, process oriented. So C game is your worst performance. If that does not get better, right, you end up in a scenario where that front end actually is going to be limited. Your upside gets capped. And so it's so easy for traders, for poker players, for professionals to want to, you know, kind of focus on their strengths, to focus on the good parts of their skill set. You know, but the descriptions you're describing about, you know, processes that Bill put in place to really unearth and expose the ways in which we could uh, uh, be better is really essential to moving that back end forward. Because when you do that, you then create the conditions for that front end to take another step forward from the front. And, you know, especially for the perfectionists out there, those with high expectations, uh, I know, I'm sure nobody in this room uh, is of that category. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's so easy to kind of think that your current version of perfection is like the limit to what you can do. And it's not. Now, that's the cool thing about this inchworm concept as well. It shows you that perfection is a moving target as well, right? As long as you continue to progress, your definition of what is perfect progresses. So in my mind, perfection right now is defined by your inchworm, right? The very front end of your you know, performance is your version of perfection today. But as soon as you hit it, you've created the potential for it to grow. And the question becomes, how do you do that? Well, it's very easy, especially when, you know, again, you're in sync with the market, you're doing really well, making a lot of money, making a lot of really great decisions to think that it's just going to continue or to or actually kind of press it and force it to happen more. When in actuality, if you become aware of all that, the best thing you can do is focus on your B and C game because improving in those areas is what's going to create the opportunity for you to move that front end forward again. Because when you're in your A game and you're in a, a really great state, there's actually a lot of content and knowledge that's in your mind that hasn't really been owned yet. It hasn't been consolidated. It's not like the back of your hand, like a like an instinctive part of your skill set. You need to kind of move it through the learning process to get to that back end, you know, for it to kind of truly uh, allow your mind to be freed up so you can learn new things, right? We have a, a limit to how much we can learn at one time. And, you know, you want to take things off the table by consolidating it, by mastering it, rather than just filling your mind with all this new stuff and thinking that somehow it's going to click or you can't, you know, listen, there's a lot of people that, that procrastinate and cram for tests and think that, that can, they can get away with it. And they probably did in school. Mm -hmm. Trading is not like that, right? You cannot procrastinate or cram for the market, right? Every day is a test. How well have you prepared for it, right? That it's ultimately kind of going to give you that feedback on how well you're doing. And a lot of times it's going to expose some pretty big gaps in your preparation. So interim is a way of kind of reorienting your mind around how to get better, how to prepare, because some days you're not going to have it. And so, you know, the operative word there is suck less, right? How much can you yeah. suck less on those days? <laughs> right. right? I mean, it's, it's a, it's a simple idea, but one that, you know, can really pay dividends, especially for those that, you know, can kind of kind of give up like you're 70% of your way to your daily loss limit. You're like, ah, F it. And just, you know, throw it in. It's like, no, no, no. If you want to get better at this consistently, you have to make the hard decisions. Even when every part of your body is screaming, F it, just throwing the extra 30%. If you can pull yourself away, right? 
stop the bleeding. You've sucked less. Cool. Now you've got 30% more you can use tomorrow and maybe you're, you're going to be in a better spot. And I just yeah, want to and- real quickly address that concept because uh, for those that are watching the video uh, at investors.com slash podcast, you might have noticed that Arusha did a little bit of a wardrobe change. Um, it wasn't a wardrobe <laughs> malfunction. Um, you know, and so uh, Arusha, do, do you want to say anything about sucking less? Because you've got some football teams where, you know, <laughs> you, you, you kind of know about sticking with them through the tough times, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, kind of like you, you've known with UCLA football for quite a while. But uh, it, uh, well, I mean, really getting to the, the, I think that's a nice transition, not Justin's transition, but the Inchworms transition <laughs> okay. of going to the game. You're not going to give inch- me compliments. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> going to the, essentially going to the game of inches, right? So the NFL is starting this week, starting tomorrow. We're recording on Wednesday right here. Uh, Jared, now, Let's get into kind of we've we've gone a little bit into the kind of the the sports gambling or kind of and there are different categories right where you almost have your degenerate gambler which and they were kind of exposed or they kind of came out uh, in 2020 when all sports ended and and so they were they had to find other things to bet and then you have kind of your professional sports betters who they really study the game kind of like horse racing or, or even the stock market or, or whatever, where they, it's not necessarily gambling. They're managing their risk going into kind of those different categories from the sports side. Yeah. I mean, it really is the same thing. I mean, sports betting has, I think an even smaller edge than trading and poker typically does. I mean, I have guys that um, they are thrilled by having one and a half percent kind of on, on uh, as a return on their, uh, their capital, which is, Crazy when you think about it. I mean, I, a guy last year who made a million dollars, and I think his edge for the year was like three and a half percent. You know, you so see, think about like how much you had to be wagering throughout right. the year right. to make that money is like <laughs> amazing. Yeah, holy mother of God. Um, and actually, I, I should say he made a million dollars just betting on football. So more than that with baseball um, and wow. a few others. But uh, yeah, I mean. It, it, but it's a profession to him, right? It's, oh, Clearly, it's a profession absolutely. to him. And, and I've got another guy who's a, you know, down in Australia. They call it punting, right? So he's a horse punter down in Australia. Um, you know, massive modeling has a whole team of people around him. Um, it's just wild. I mean, but they take wow. it as seriously as, as, as traders do. As, as well, maybe not poker players, because poker players tend to be a bit more on the degenerate side. But that's uh, <laughs> uh, anybody who is. I mean, like I've got PGA Tour players I'm working with. I mean, my God. I mean. One guy, he has me, he has a manager, he's got a nutritionist and a trainer and a putting coach and a swing coach and an agent. Uh, we get together in a room. It's like, wow, you, your payroll's deep. But but he does not care about money. He cares about winning and he cares about yeah. winning at the highest level. And so every little edge that you can find is is essential. So yeah, the real sports bettors, the real traders, the real poker players, the real golfers, we're all doing the exact same thing. It's like finding those edges. And in my mind, right, from a mental standpoint, it's like, that's what I'm weaponized to do also is like find those little opportunities where you know thinking a little bit differently reacting a little bit differently is going to make a difference in in some key moments now what about 2020 where all of a sudden when all sports ended right people were betting on anything they could bet talk talk a little bit about that so i i I had an interesting experience i mean a a lot for a lot of people you know march 2020 was was pretty painful for me it was uh like i like a deluge like of 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 either new clients or old clients coming out of the word works in poker, there was more opportunities than they could even capture. I mean, you know, obviously it was all online, 
but these online sites created so many big tournament series. And whenever there's a tournament series, cash games are massive. I mean, burnout just became like the immediate big question mark. How could I capture all this, uh, this info? And then of course, you know, some new traders, you know, kind of came into the woodworks, but like we saw the massive influx uh, of, of new traders in the market. And so in my mind, like I saw poker was where everybody went or, or the markets was there where everybody, cause there was no sports. And so then the, the real degenerates went to like marble racing. I mean, they went to like, you know, like a Seinfeldian, you know, Kramer, like betting on which, which flight was going to, you know, be delayed. I mean, it was whatever they could bet. It had to go somewhere. And then, it, you know, we get stimulus checks in the U S and thrown into the I've got to do something with this. Yeah. It's like, it was a burning holes in people's pockets. So yeah, I mean, I, there's ways of doing it right. And there's ways of, of just doing it. And there's a lot of people who were throwing money around in a lot of different places. Uh, well, and it kind of goes to what you were talking about before about, uh, well, people who don't know how to handle money, right? All of a sudden they had, had the, these checks coming in, they didn't know what to do. So they started betting on marbles. Yeah. Or, or Bitcoin and, you know, whatever they could, whatever they could throw, whatever made sense in the moment, there was no rhyme or reason or rationale or no strategy, no system. Obviously, how would you have a system? Right. It's like, so yeah, I mean, and when I say the degenerates gamblers, like it, they're all walks of life. I mean, I said, I, I know many people who I will, will, will remain nameless who are very successful in business and, and will throw money around in lots of places, right? Who are the, the private game, the, the poker players play, playing private games against? They're the millionaires and billionaires and they don't care about the money, but yet they want the action. They want the challenge and, so yeah, when everything shuts down, money's going somewhere and people are going to create excitement. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not going to say it shouldn't exist or, you know, we should kind of be uh, limiting people's ability to have fun. Um, the question is like what you want, right? And if you want uh, to make money, then, you know, having fun shouldn't be at the top of the list of what you're trying to do. So now to kind of wrap this all up and, and again, kind of getting back to this whole concept of, um, you know, surviving, because that, that is that is a huge part of it. I mean, just being able to survive long enough uh, is is the way that, you know, some people have built their fortunes, right? They've just been at it for long enough. They've gotten better. Um, they've maybe had some had some good, good runs uh, that have really kind of had those life changing moments. Um, they haven't completely squandered things when they've had a couple things go against them. Uh, they've had their risk management in place. So uh, again, this is a very different market from when you were on last in January of this year. Uh, you know, it, it's it's come down considerably. Uh, there was already some of the stocks that were down considerably went down even further. So now that people have kind of been introduced to this side of the market, what's what's the next step for for people that are making that decision? You know, maybe they started in 2020, but they've made the decision. No, I want to stick with this. I I, I want to. I want to continue to do this and I want to get better. What's kind of like the overarching best way to do it? I mean, I think Inchworm kind of helps us out here, right? So the, the people that you were talking about really sucked less a lot throughout their career, right? That survival is really that their back end level of decisions never took them out of the game. It allowed them to continue to survive and ultimately then thrive when, you know, the, the, the getting was good. So I think for the people that have, have, started early, 
uh, you know, 2020 um, and, and are now trying to pivot. If there was some significant pain points, maybe not in that year, but in 2021 or even, you know, at parts of this year, it can be easy to kind of let those failures and let those losses really loom and kind of create like a dark cloud hanging over you. But what they're going to do is they're going to kind of anchor the back end of that inchworm where it is. It's going to literally hold you back from progressing, right? There's a difference between, you know, learning from your failures and having them ultimately pay you back. Mm. There's a client I talked about in the book who, I forget the exact number, but it was it was definitely like north of, of a couple hundred grand that he sold a position that he had a very big conviction on um, and, and it ended up, um, you know, he made some money, but it, he didn't make the life-changing money that really... Um, he could have at that point, you know, fast forward to three or four years, um, you know, we kind of worked through that because that was kind of part of what, uh, you know, he was kind of coming to me to work on was, was the regret and the pain from that. At the end of our kind of work, you get to the point where he was like, I would pay 200 grand to have that experience and the knowledge that I've gained since, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who was willing to kind of do the work for that four years period to like actually get good at this. So look, it's, it's a hard choice to make, you know, we're going to talk a bit more about the NFL here, but you know, so many traders think that they can just plop down, you know, money in an account and think that they can play in the NFL. That that's the equivalent of what's happening. Right. And, and so, yeah, if you do that, you're going to get blown up a few times. You're going to have your handed to you a few times. It's going to be really painful. The question is, do you take those pain points as points of learning, points of growth, points of opportunity, you know, or do they like kind of really, you know, stick with you? And I think to kind of massage through those, that scar tissue, you know, it, it requires just actually like looking at those failures, looking at like, why am I still holding on to this? What did I learn from it? Uh, you know, how can it turn uh, into something of value? Uh, if you can do that, right, you have an opportunity to actually kind of free that, uh, that, that scar tissue and, and allow that inchworm to kind of start moving again. And then you're going to be better for it. Right. I mean, that's, that's what, you know, you guys have talked about, right. Been in this game for a long time. You've seen all the different ups and downs. And as a result of that, you're knowledgeable and not uh, emotionally attached. And that's, that's a big key to being successful long-term. So if you're going to make the choice to keep going in this game, it's not about like forgetting the past. It's really about learning from it and freeing your emotions up from it. Cause otherwise you're just going to get stuck and, and then, you know, you're kind of damned to repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we often talk about that as the tuition, right? <laughs> the, the, the tuition of Wall Street, right? Where you make those right. mistakes and if you can learn from it, it's tuition that becomes well worth it. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Arusha. No. It, it, and I mean, the, there are so many parallels with the way we invest there with the, the inchworm where you're incrementally moving in to the market, you incrementally move out, you incrementally build into larger positions. And all of a sudden the market starts working and, and you, you have some dispositions. It's not like you just, uh, jump in with a large position, so you're you're slowly inching in, and and the same way you're with with your larger por with your portfolio, your equity curve, the the goal is to just slowly grow it to to you know incrementally increase it, uh, and inch it higher, and and not get too much back when you're out of sync. So there's so many parallels uh, with the the inchworm there. Mm -hmm. Well, Jared, got to thank you once again for coming on the show. Uh, it was really great having you. It was great having you on IBD Live. So for people that haven't checked out that video, uh, it's something that we, we, we have out there on, on our video uh, 
video list. If you can just go to investors.com slash video, you'll probably see it up there uh, if you check that out. And of course, the video here will be available. If you want to see that inchworm in action, uh, you can see it in action while he was talking about it at investors.com slash podcast. So uh, thanks again, Jared, for being here. Thanks, guys. It was a pleasure talking to you as always. And uh, yeah, go Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> He says with a question. Yeah, mark, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that was that was enough. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Maybe we'll have to talk about confidence and conviction a, a little bit more. Yeah, we might have to look <laughs> at Jared on that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the markets that we're in right now and some stocks that are on the radar. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. To help alleviate some of the pain that comes from bear markets, we recommend investing 20 to 25% of the equity portion of your portfolio in a tactical strategy. If you're especially risk averse, we recommend a higher percentage. In 2008, the market declined 37%, yet our portfolio was only down 12%. Why? Because the conditions for investing were poor, so we held a lot of cash. Visit northcoastam.com tactical. Okay, welcome back to the Investing with IBD podcast sponsored by North Coast Asset Management. It's Justin Nielsen here along with my weekly guest, Arusha Pires, who is still wearing a Raider shirt uh, because he just can never learn. But anyway, <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the markets and uh, go through a few stocks. I mean, today, very strong bounce. Now, it's hard to get too excited here because... We had like seven days down in a row. Uh, you know, certainly it was getting to a point where uh, a bounce was expected. Um, you know, we, we were kind of using the low of July 26th, um, you know, where, where it kind of almost came to the 50-day the moving average line after it first went above it and it came down to that level. We've kind of been looking at that as, as our next line in the sand and we got support from that area for the last couple days and uh, a strong bounce today. What what's what are your thoughts here, Arusha, on where we're at in the market? Yeah, yeah, you you could it, it could go both ways. You you could say you're under pressure. You could even argue that you're in a correction. Uh, you're still you're at that key support right now, kind of like what you're right. saying at the low of, of July 26th, and right below it, there's kind of that lower trading range there. That should provide some support uh, where the lows um, from June uh, occurred. So, so you're in this really kind of cautious type of area where, if you were if you were slowly building up positions in end of July and August, uh, you're you've been probably forced more to force more to reduce, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you are following some uh, risk management rules. Uh, and so having some exposure makes sense uh, if you're seeing some and we'll go over some some of these uh, examples here uh, or some areas that that did well today. But it's not a time to be aggressive. So if you're looking at it from a correction, right, or even a say, say under pressure correction, you, you want to try to be a little bit more cautious and say, you know what, let's let's wait for another follow through day type of action. Uh, you're still a little ways away from that. If, if you're going kind of from resetting the account and you're under pressure, this would just be day number one, right? right. If you want to be a little bit more conservative and take it that kind of approach and say, I, I think we're in a correction. I'm going to, I want another follow through day. This just would be day number one. And so the earliest would be next Tuesday 
um, or sometime next week, uh, where you could get that day number four, right, on heavier volume. Today's strong day, up 2%, lower volume than the day before, it looks like. Uh, and the one thing that always kind of goes in my head, because it was up 2%, pretty powerful day, but the one thing that has been going through my head, and I think I've been saying it on the podcast a few times here throughout this year, the, the biggest days come in bear markets, right? Absolutely. So every time I kind of see these really strong days and there's n not tons of broad market participation, that's the first thing that kind of just rings in my head that this, we still could be in a bear market if you're just having these kind of really one, one day powerful kind of rallies. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's not to say that we didn't have a very powerful rally from those June lows to that peak right. uh, on August 16th. I mean, certainly that was something that, you know, you, you could have participated in, but sure. I think it's very, uh, very clear that that you didn't want to use the same rules that you use in an uptrend. You know, th this was still where we were below the 200 day moving average line. We were, you know, still kind of struggling to get out of this downtrend. And the fact that we got right up to that 200 day line on the S&P 500 didn't quite get there on the NASDAQ. Um, just breached it for a couple days on the Russell 2000 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but couldn't hold it. Um, you know, I, I think that just combination kind of says, okay, you're you're still, you know, you're still in a downtrend, and you had to kind of react quickly. And I I haven't really been. Nor normally, I try and use the 50-day moving average line or the 10-week moving average line as kind of a line in the sand. And I just think to myself, if I can, if I can hold you know, through that, through those pullbacks, uh, that's the way I'm going to catch some of these big winners. But in this, in this rally, I was kind of looking at it saying, man, I, I'm going to use the 10 day or the 21 day moving average line a lot of times because I just didn't, didn't have that conviction quite yet since we were still below that 200 day line. And because of the way it started with just a paucity of, of setups, you know, it was the only things that were moving. It seemed like, uh, at first were those bottom fishing, stocks um and i guess my concern now is well yes a lot of things were showing reversals and you know that's that's great and all there's there's a lot of a lot of places where we could hit our head again you know we've got that 50-day moving average line not far away uh then we've got those june highs of 12,320 on the nasdaq that we were looking at uh before you know and, and we got above that but um you know can will that provide resistance uh you know, at that level. And then let's not forget, you've got the 200 day moving average line still looming. Uh, we, we still have that to breach uh, before we're really going to see the indexes um, go. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, I, I think it gets back to that whole incremental thing. Yeah. You can dabble your foot in, dabble your toe in on a, on some positions here, but you have to be ready to uh, have that scenario in the back of your head that, Hey, this might not last for very long. We've seen a lot of sector rotation very quickly. I mean, a lot of the commodity stocks were looking pretty good. The steel, the oils, and you know, the gas, and uh, even the the fertilizer seemed like they were setting up again. And then it just seemed like a lot of things were getting uh, getting knocked down. So I, I I'm not looking for those uh, long positions that I'm going to hold for a long time for those big wins quite yet. Yeah, we're we're still in this kind of chop market. Uh, mm -hmm. choppy market right where the grind you know getting taken to the grinder where you know you, you just people who are who are really trying to constantly be as aggressive as they were in 2020 they're they're just going to get worn out 
and they're, mm-hmm. they're just going to slowly just lose money, lose money, lose money. Uh, so you got to recognize that. Uh, now, going back to, yeah, we in bear markets, you can have very powerful rallies. Uh, and once again, the bear market is it, it, it's just a label at this point. The, the reality is it, this is just not it's not a great market. So you shouldn't be pushing it. Right. But mm-hmm. in that previous rally from July through a bunch of August, you had the fall through day. You got above the 50 day moving average. You, more importantly, I think, especially for our kind of stocks, you got above the 21 day moving average. Yeah. And, and that kind of simple Hey, is it above the 21 day, below the 21 day? You know that that really came from the market school study that uh, mm-hmm. that you guys did. Uh, yeah. That you know, using something like that can help save you a lot of pain. I mean, we broke uh, on the Nasdaq. We broke the the 21 day. That was our first kind of big sell off on August 21st, right? So that that gap down where you broke it kind of came back above it for a day or two, and then sold off again below it. Using something like that. Uh, will help you. Will help you kind of lose less, as what Jared was talking about. Right. Right. Uh, now that being said, it, it's a tough market. It hasn't made new lows just yet. It may not make new lows. So you still have to keep the open mind to the other side. That hey, we could get another fall today. We could mm-hmm. get above the twenty-one day, and there could be some setups. And at that point, then you try a little bit again, right? Or you increase your exposure a little bit to see if you start getting some traction. Eventually, this market is going to wear everyone out that uh, it's going to eventually set up and then start taking off. And if you're not paying attention, if you're not being open minded, you're going to miss out on that initial rally of the real bull market. Mm -hmm. And, you know, keep in mind, you know, there's. It just doesn't have to go up in rally mode. It doesn't have to go down in correction mode. There could, as you said, this grind where you're range bound going back and forth. And, um, you know, especially if the rallies and corrections only last like a couple weeks, it's hard to make progress. And it's very easy to get your timing just slightly off. And then you die that death of a thousand cuts because you're getting in just as things are maybe breaking out and then they fail. And then you're, you know, you're taking your losses and then, the cycle just keeps on repeating as you go uh, through that kind of wave um, uh, from from peaks to troughs and and so on. So just just you have to be careful. Um, and so that's why right now I'm I'm not really looking for the 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 swing for the fences. You know, hitting home runs. I'm I'm really I, I put some positions on today. I'm going to take the profits very quickly if if that materializes. If they don't, I'm going to be very quick to get out. I'm not giving these things very much room. Yeah, um, and the most well, and just very quickly, Justin, the the most dangerous market is not the downtrending market; it's the sideways market, mm-hmm. right? Where that yeah. constantly sucks gi- you can in. give you yeah, it sucks <laughs> you in. It can give you a number of false signals, yeah, um, and and just it can just wear you down, and and you kind of die the death of a thousand cuts. And especially if you get too aggressive, uh, too early. That's where you can really find yourself in trouble, and I've I've already shared a number of times how how that was my biggest issue in 2001 to 2003 uh, was just every every follow through day, and there were so many I was getting way too aggressive, way too quickly. Um, and I, I let's go ahead and just shift a little bit to uh, some of the areas that were looking strong. One of the things that does concern me is uh, utilities. Uh, you know, XLU. If we just pull that up real quick, I mean. You know, you look at this chart, you cover up utilities and you're like, oh, wow, how can I get a piece of this winner? Um, but, you know, are, are utilities really what's going to lead us out uh, in, into a strong bull market? Um, 
that hasn't been the case in the past. I do remember, Arusha, when you and I were sitting next to each other back in 2016 at that early, you know, that early uh, 2016 where we had that correction. Uh, you know, 2015 had a lot of volatility, especially right. in the summer. And yep. then we finally were getting some traction uh, at the start of the year in 2016. And man, the IBD 50 was full of utilities, REITs, uh, AT&T, Verizon. I mean, that was where <laughs> that was where all the action was for a while. It did take a while for growth to come on. So uh, what's what's your take on utilities? Is this even worth a shot or would you rather just keep your money in cash? I, I usually just keep my money in cash at that point or just I'm very lightly invested uh, and I'm, I'm not in utilities. Right. I'm not going to mm -hmm. go with where, where the market is trending at that point, just simply two point six percent yield for XLU. I and mean, you know what? And it, and it's a good point it, that just because it doesn't work for me, right, or it's not right for me, doesn't necessarily mean that it's not right for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. If that uh, that that someone else, if that fits your strategy, and you're like, you know what? Let me park some money in the utilities. They're trending well. They're earning that dividend. That's fine, right? Just manage your risk. It, uh, mm -hmm. In in the end, you you learn those larger concepts of what we're talking about of, of the the system here of the Kansas system, uh, and then uh, you know adapt it to your own personality and your own situation. That that's the most important thing because that's how you really get better at this. But uh, with utilities and, and today, when the market was kept getting stronger and stronger. Yeah, I, I was just looking at what stocks were working today, and, and there were a lot of utilities, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. the, it was just telling me that, okay, just be patient, right? Try, try, try something if you see something within uh, your kind of strategy or, or your kind of uh, the, the stock framework where the, the types of stocks you do well, but you don't have to necessarily push it in something that's you're, you're like, I would get bored. I, I, I mean, <laughs> we're looking on the chart right here and the scaling kind of makes it look like this is really an interesting stock. Uh, well, go ahead and go to the weekly. chart. But yeah, but when you switch it weekly, <laughs> I mean, it, honestly, from a trading kind of or a price action, it looks pretty good. But when you look at it on a weekly on a log uh, on a log format, here on a log scale. This thing's just goes sideways. This mm. it, it's going to wear me out. Right. I'm just going to get so bored of being in something like this that I already know that I'm better off just being in cash at that point instead of putting it in a, a utility. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, there's that kind of preserving your mental capital as well and not getting kind of, oh, wait, you know, I mean, look, that last correction that we just had, that was 17 percent. Who cares if you got a 2.6% dividend if you're down 17% on something if you uh, if you bought it wrong? So uh, do keep that in mind. Now, one area that we've been um, really seeing some strength, and of course, there were some policy decisions here, the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, we talked about that with uh, Andrew Chainin to a, a certain degree. Um, but let's take a look at Invesco Solar uh, because TAN, ticker symbol TAN, is uh, showing a lot of strength here and i mean certainly if you look at the leaders uh whether it be you know uh i mean solar edge solar you know uh, sun sun run uh solar power first solar end phase you know the, the, the whole host of them uh there was a lot of uh action in those stocks today and that was reflected in a nice bounce that tan saw on tuesday and it just followed up today yeah in incredibly powerful move this is the number one industry group uh, the solar group, right? And shouldn't be a shock uh, because this has been the number one group probably for the last few weeks or so, right? Especially after they went on that big run at the end of July uh, and after, I guess, with, with the, the, the the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, now, he came back in, 
found support off the 50-day moving average. I'm talking about TAN here. Uh, and just a really, really powerful move off, off the moving average. So this continues to act well. And uh, for, for plenty of people out there, this might be a better option than trying to pick one of the individual solar stocks that move really uh, quickly, right? They might be up 7% one day, down 8% the next day. Uh, that's just kind of normal action. So if you can't handle that action uh, and you want a little bit slower mover, you can get in a TAM that's only up 6% today. Um, but uh, so the ETF kind of will mute it out a little bit. It might enable you to uh, ride through the volatility a bit better. But overall, this is acting pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's go ahead and round out the discussion because uh, certainly as part of, uh, you know, that Inflation Reduction Act uh, and, and some of the climate uh, bill portions of it, uh, there have been a lot of lot of looks towards lithium battery technology. And we've had uh, Pedro Palandrani on before from the Global X team and talked about uh, the, tick, the ticker symbol LIT, which is their battery technology ETF. Um, this is still below the 200-day moving average line, and it's certainly not just lithium in here. You do have some of those lithium players, like the the big ones, Albemarle and SQM, um, you know, uh, LAC and uh, LTHM. You know, but you also have uh, some of those battery technology folks, you know, including Tesla and and Boyd. Um, so, with something that's still below the 200-day moving average line still below the 50-day line is is this something that you're even you know considering uh or is it hey look the the individual stocks the leaders in this area just look so much stronger yeah in this case i'd probably go more towards the individual stocks uh for pre pretty much any chart if if it if they're below the 50-day and the 200-day i'm going to be very very uh, much more cautious on them uh, I'll manage the risk tighter, and I generally won't buy anything below that. Uh, now, this is not only below the 50 and the 200. The 50-day moving average is below the 200-day right. moving average, right? So a lot of times when you see that, when you see a shorter-term moving average below a longer-term moving average, that means that the trend is still more towards downside, right? There's more momentum towards the downside. So you want the the quicker moving averages to start getting above the the shorter term uh the longer term moving averages uh and so it's just going to take a while so in this case yeah i would stick i would look for something within the actual battery field or uh the lithium plays uh individual stocks or look for another etf that's acting a little bit better because they just might have a better composition uh, of what's working right now in the market versus this which might be a little bit more broad well, that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thank you so much for uh, helping me out, Arusha, as always, uh, analyzing the market and some of the areas that we're showing strength. Again, I think the, the takeaway here is, um, you know, just like the Raiders, it, it's not necessarily smooth sailing for the market yet, right? But there's always, you, you always have to be optimistic you know, and, and hope that that bull market or, or next playoff run is ahead, of, ahead in the future. Yes, absolutely. And joining us on the show next week, we're going to have Simon Erickson back on the show. He's from Seven Investing. Uh, really great uh, discussion that we had uh, last time he was on, and uh, we're looking forward to another great discussion with him. Uh, so please stay tuned for that uh, when, it, when it comes next week. And thank you for watching us this week. We'll see you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. 
Hey everyone, thanks so much for watching Investors Business Daily on YouTube. If you want to watch more videos, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.